So um, if you have been a church person for a while, you've attended church, uh, you probably know this. If you're new to church, maybe you don't know it. Uh, but uh, the idea or the topic of relationships actually get a lot of, uh, gets a lot of airtime at church. Uh, but usually during those conversations, uh, the, the main conversation is about dating or about marriage or maybe even parenting. And while those things are obviously very, very important, uh, and should be talked about a lot because they really impact so many parts and areas of our lives and so many of us at so many different levels. Uh, but one of the things that we rarely talk about is how to actually make friends, how to actually be a friend. Uh, but it, it is such a huge part of our lives. It's such an important piece uh, of what it actually means to be a human being. And so uh, we decided to take the whole month of February to talk about what that is. What, what, is, what is friendship? How do, how do we do it? How do we be a friend? How do we make friends? Because one of the challenges for us is even in a place like this is that you can have a, a room full of people and yet so many of us can actually feel alone or actually indeed be alone. Uh, but how do you make a friend? How, how do you, and, and if friendships are made, what does that look like? So um, we've been pretty big Disney people for quite a while and spent a lot of time, more probably more time than anybody should spend at Disneyland. Um, and, uh, and have gone there a lot. I mean, long time ago, we had our very first opportunity um, to sit down with our kids and take, a, take them to the Blue Bayou restaurant. That's, you know, the one that's inside the Pirates of the Caribbean. And, um, and, and from the first moment that I ordered their Monte Cristo sandwich, um, it was amazing. Anybody had the, the Monte Cristo at Disneyland? Okay, it's fantastic. Here's a picture of it. Um, it looks delicious. You're going to want, you're going to be hungry. Like, it's basically a ham and cheese sandwich that's then breaded and deep fried. Um, and it, they're so nice. They put grapes on the plate for you to make you feel better about yourself. But you get these huge chunks of sandwich and it's covered in powdered sugar. And then they give you like three or four different dips to dip it in. And so it's like savory and sweet. And I wish I had one right now. Like it was, it's amazing. Uh, but after I had it the first time, I kind of became obsessed with it for a while. And, and, and so I was like wanting Hansi to make it. Uh, but, but at first, all we had to go on was just like the experience of having eaten it and then a picture that I had taken that looked a little bit like that one. And it's not a particularly complicated dish, but we didn't know all of the ingredients or all of the steps to the recipe or how much to use of what and when. And, 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 so, and, I, and I've had them other places. Like it just uh, in January, we went out with some friends to the Cheesecake Factory over in Boise, and they have a Monte Cristo like on, just on the weekends. And it was good, it was okay, but it was, wasn't the same. Something, something was missing. And I, I don't know if you've ever actually tried to make something in the ki kitchen from just a picture, um, but it's not super easy, right? It usually doesn't work out very well. And so we just decided maybe we won't try that. Maybe we won't just take a stab at it. And, and the, but the truth is, is that I think relationships can kind of be like that for us sometimes. We have these experiences we have these relational moments where we just kind of click with somebody or we bond with them and we become friends, but we don't always know how or why. We have this picture, we, we know what it tastes like, we know what it feels like, but we don't know how we got there. So there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament um, of two people, a guy named David and a friend of his, Jonathan, and, and of them meeting, and, and they just sort of clicked, um, and, and they had that kind of friendship. And so I, I wanted to start by reading this. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is the moment that it just sort of happens for them. In verse 1, it says, David and Saul finished talking. So Saul is the king, um, and Saul's son, Jonathan, is the prince. 
and David um, is just a servant in the king's court. And so it says, David and Saul finished talking, and soon David and Jonathan became best friends. And Jonathan thought as much of David as he did of himself. And Jonathan liked David so much that ultimately they together promised, they pledged to always be loyal friends. Now that, that feels a little bit weird, or maybe that sounds a little weird as a detail for them to say that. But part of the reason they did that is because Saul was king, and he wanted Jonathan, his son, to be king after him, but Saul was not a great king. And so God had come along and said, no, you're, when you're done, you're going to be replaced by David. And so Saul was jealous and hated David, and David was popular, and he was good looking, and he was just this awesome dude, and he wrote songs, and he killed giants, and like he just had it all. Like chicks dug him, dudes wanted to be him. Also, he had a heart after God. Like he just, he was the package. And so Saul hated him. Um, and, and, but ultimately, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David actually became friends. And, and Saul was trying to kill David, but his son was loyal and actually helped David escape many, many times with his own life. Now, if you've ever had a deep friendship, like you know how special it is, like, which is part of why it's devastating when it goes away, when you lose it, whether it's somebody changed or the relationship just kind of changed or evolved or things happened, and it, it's just not what it once was. The problem, though, is that because we don't often know how or why it happened, why that relationship came together, we don't always know how to recreate it or how to go find it or how to make it happen again. We have the picture, but we don't have the recipe. We don't have all the ingredients. Because one of the weird truths about life is that you can be a pretty awesome person, but actually lack the skills to develop long-term healthy friendships and relationships. And I bet if you stopped and you thought about it, you probably have known someone like that. Somebody that most people liked, everybody kind of got along with them. Somebody who was a good person. But when you look over the long haul of their life, somehow all of their relationships just always kind of end up a mess. And so because we don't always know how to recreate it or how to go about it, so often we just sort of settle for crossing our fingers and hoping we can somehow just stumble into it again. In David's story, so Jonathan, his friend, ends up actually dying kind of young when they're both very young, when David and Jonathan are young. But David ends up going on to experience several more really deep and lifelong kind of friendships. In fact, he does go on to become king, and he's king for a very long time, and towards the end of his life, um, David... Uh, things are not going well. He's overthrown as the king by some of his old enemies, the Philistines. And so they not only march into the city of Jerusalem and take over Jerusalem, but David has to flee for his life. So he leaves the palace, he leaves the city, and he's on the run, and he's got kind of his band of brothers with him. And, and But he's hiding out in a cave, which was a cave that he had spent a lot of time in because it was a place that he hid out when the king Saul was hunting him down. He repeatedly went back to the same cave. So Dave, David has this place that he goes whenever things aren't going well. So he goes to his cave and he's writing depressing poetry about how overwhelmed he is and about how nobody cares about him and life just kind of sucks. And we know that he's writing that because in Psalm 142 is actually a psalm that he wrote during this time when he was hiding out in a cave. And so he's obviously not in a good headspace, but that's when this happens. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 13, it says this. It says, during harvest time, three 
of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam. So three of his friends, they hear what's going on. They know what's going on. They go down to the cave where they know he's hiding out and they go to find him. And it says, while the band of the Philistines was encamped at the Valley of Rephraim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And David is just sort of sitting around and he just kind of just says out loud. He's just saying random things. And he says, oh, that someone would get me a drink of the water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And so these three friends of David's, his three mighty warriors, broke through the Philistine lines. They crossed enemy lines, went into enemy territory at risk of their own lives, all so they could draw water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carry it back to their friend, David. Now, this is a really remarkable story because I don't know about you, but when you stop and think about what's actually happening, isn't this what we all want when life is not going well for us, right? When we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we're feeling like we're not winning at anything, when it feels like everyone has abandoned us, when we're not sure that our lives really matter at all, don't we want people who care enough to come and find us in whatever cave we're hiding in and to crawl to whatever, you know, the back of whatever cave we're in and people who will find us and help us, people who will hear us out, and then also that people that will actually do something to prove how much they love us and to actually help pull us out of that dark place that we're in. Of course, that's what we all want. But here's the thing. This just didn't happen. These guys are doing this for David because it's what he's done for them for years. He had worked and invested in these relationships, and so they were there for him when he needed them the most. See, close friendship, it isn't something that you just sort of stumble on and find. It's actually something that you form. The first step in actually having a friend worth having is being a friend worth having. Because in all of our relationships, whether it's friendship, whether it's dating, whether you're trying to find a spouse, whatever, we don't actually attract what we're looking for. We're all people out there, I'm looking for the look at No, you, you will attract what you are. You, you will attract who you are. You don't, you don't attract what you're looking for. But by the way, I, I was thinking about this week, there have been people in my life who I thought would be lifelong friends who turned out to just be seasonal friends. And, and it's, it's always really hard for me when, to come to terms with that because when I make friends with somebody, I always believe and really want it to be for life. Like when I just really connect with someone and we become really good friends and we've bonded, I'm always just like, we're gonna be best friends forever. That's just it, we're best friends for everybody. We're just, you know, we're gonna have deathbeds. Like we're good, blood brothers, we're, yeah. But the truth is like some people are just there for a season. It doesn't mean they're bad friends or that they were a bad investment. It's just simply that they were there for that moment in time in that season of your life. But David somehow, he had people that were seasonal friends, but he also had people that were lifelong friends, like these, these three men in this story. But I, I, I want you to listen to the way that people described David in one of these verses. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 14, Ahimelech uh, who's the priest, actually is answering to, t- to the king. He's having a conversation with the king. And he says, who of all of your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard? Who, who's more highly respected in your household? You're the king. 
Everybody respects you and everybody in your household, but who's the most respected? And honestly, he's asking this question, and it's a rhetorical question because the answer was obvious. Nobody's as loyal. Nobody's as respected. See, there's no doubt that some people are just kind of naturally better at making friends than other people, but it's not magic. It's not about talent or even necessarily how you're wired. Like building relationships, building healthy friendships is actually a skill. See, David is repeatedly, over and over and over again throughout his life, is described as being honorable and faithful and loyal and kind and respected by everyone. And so there are things that he did that you and I can do. And none of them actually take any talent at all. They're all just choices that we can make. They're skills that we can develop, which is the good news because that means that any of us can grow in them and get better. It doesn't matter what template you were handed from your family of origin. It doesn't matter what brokenness or baggage was handed to you that you can actually learn how to get better and grow and have healthy relationships in your life. And so some of these things may be obvious. Some of them maybe not so much. But the truth is once we begin to have our eyes open to them, we can actually begin to move and work and develop these characteristics in our lives and in our relationships so that our friendships go deeper and last longer and are healthier. What's interesting is the things that we're going to look at today uh, are all found in the book of Proverbs. And and they were, almost all of them were written by Solomon, who was David's son. And so all of these little insights and nuggets and things that we're going to sort of unpack about what healthy friendship looks like were written by a guy who watched his dad and his friends and he grew up listening to those stories and he grew up seeing it all play out. See, Solomon was there when these, Solomon was alive when his dad was hiding out in a cave and these men came and did this for him. Is it any wonder that then when he became king and he sat down to start to write about what friendship and what relationship looks like, that he was thinking about his dad and who his dad was and the relationship that he had? So we're going to take a bunch of the things that Solomon said, and we're going to, I'm going to just kind of group them together in a couple of sort of overarching buckets or umbrellas. Uh, but, but here's the deal. I, I, I wanted to start here. It's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. It says this. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, I think one of the most powerful insights from the scriptures is that God actually cares about your friendships, that he cares about who you bring into your life, that he understands what you need and what you were created for, that he knows the power of friendship in your life. I think it's really interesting to me that that we look at the scriptures, at, at the Bible, a book that we look to to understand who God is, a book that many of us believe that it is the authority that teaches us how to connect to God. And yet when we open that book and we begin to read it, it actually begins to talk to us about human connection and human friendship. I mean, why would God, if he gave us this book, why would he take the time to talk about this at all? Why would he take the time to say something like, friendship matters and and you need to actually choose your friends carefully? I think one of the most interesting things about having done this for a little while and had so many conversations with different people and and had the privilege of helping so many people step into relationship with God is that so many of us actually come to the place where we begin to look for God and the thing that brought us to that place of understanding that we're disconnected from our creator is that there's some disconnection in our relationships with other people. 
And that something being off in relationships with other people, something being broken, the pain of loss in those relationships actually start to cue us in that there's something bigger going on, somebody else that we need to have a relationship with. But here in this, these verses, here's God saying, look, there's a right way to go about this and a wrong way. There's a healthy way and a not so healthy way. And so he starts out and just says, choose carefully. And so what I want you to see is that the process of building deep, lifelong friendships begins with proximity and intentionality. And here's what I mean by that. So he says, he uses that phrase, choose carefully. And those words literally mean what he says is to spy out, to take time, to investigate, to explore carefully, to do your homework. And the truth is, is you cannot do that from a distance. You can't do that just from Facebook stalking people or creeping their Instagram profile. You can't get to know other people and what they're like just by their social media presence. This might be really hard for you to hear because I think the overwhelming majority of the world is actually made up of introverts and it's only extroverts like me that are like super loud and outgoing that make it seem like there's more of us, but I think most people are introverts. And so if you are an introvert, like, I'm sorry, but the truth is, is you're probably going to ha- actually have to have some actual conversations with real human beings in order to have friendships and develop relationships. You're probably going to have to accept some invitations that you really don't want to have to accept. We're like, my wife and I, we're in our late 40s, and we've reached the stage where Saturday night is not for going out and doing stuff. Saturday night is for going home and going to bed, for staying in. And, and so a, a few weeks ago, some people that we absolutely adore, some of our friends, like they were like, hey, come with us on Saturday night to the Steelheads game. And I was like, what time does it start? 7.30. Oh. Oh. I mean, do you realize when that it means when we'll get home? And so we were just like, I know, I, would, I mean, we just go to bed early because we get up early and Sunday is, Sunday's game day for us and we got to make sure, you know, it's like, and we're old and tired and we just want to be in bed. But we're just like, no, no, no. Okay, we talked about it. We're like, no, this is actually an important moment in our relationship and like, who are we going to be? Are we going to be people that are like, no, we don't want to hang out with our friends. We want to stay at home and be hermits. And so we went and we had a blast and it was awesome. See, you may actually have to accept some invitations that inside it's not, you're just like, oh God, I just would rather be home. You, have, you may have to actually, I don't know, make plans to connect with other people. By the way, can we all just agree to stop saying, hey, we should get together sometime? Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but whenever you say that, it never happens. And that's because it's not a plan, We should get together sometime. Never happens because you need to actually make a plan. So the bottom line is, it's going to be really hard for you to connect with people if you stay home binging Ozark every night. If you want to be close with others, you're going to have to spend enough time in close proximity to others and actually be around them to get to know them. Interestingly enough, science actually backs this up. Science actually tells us that human beings, it takes spending about 30 hours with someone just to develop a casual friendship with that person. 30 hours is a long time. And, and, and to become good friends with somebody, it takes a minimum of time of 140 hours. Now, 
Being around somebody a lot won't automatically make you good friends with someone, but you will never become good friends with someone without being around them a lot. And if you are like my wife, an introvert, and just this conversation gives you a little bit of anxiety, I just want you to know, like, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to die alone, all right? Like, I want, I want for there to be people that love you all the way to the end. I don't want, I want people to show up at your funeral. And if people are going to show up at your funeral, you actually have to get to know some people while you're alive. And so you got to get, like, you got to put in some, some effort. And so here, here's just like a practical thing, like, become a regular somewhere, have a place that you just connect to, that you go there, that you're just a part, because you will actually start noticing people and connecting with the barista or whatever, wherever you're hanging out. Like you'll just actually begin to be known. This is why I think something like what we do when we gather for church matters. See, I've always been surprised over the years of people that are like, I mean, I've been coming to this church for six months and I just, nobody knows me. And I'm like, yeah, in that six months, you've come like five times. I don't know, maybe try it out a little more. We've had people that are like, we come, every time we come, it's hurtful because people ask us if it's our first time. And I'm like, well, you came like three times in six months. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you, just being around, being a regular somewhere, people actually get to see your face and know your name and connect with you and begin to talk with you and shoot the breeze with you. And then, and then the conversation can actually move and develop a little deeper than that. See, proximity matters. And, and then there's just kind of the pure intentionality of what he's saying when he says, choose wisely, choose your friends carefully. Yeah, I think some of us aren't choosy enough when it comes to how we make friends everybody's our friend. And in my experience, the, the people who look like they have the most friends, the tons of friends, the people that just everybody's their friend, they actually end up being the most alone. Because the simple reality is, is that if everybody is your BFF, you probably don't actually have a BFF. And, and then there's the other end of the spectrum of you people that are just way too choosy. So some of us are not choosy enough, and then others of us are just like, you know what? They're not my people. All right, like you don't let anybody in. You find a reason to keep everybody at arm's length. Everyone is too much work. If you don't instantly click with them, you just kind of write them off, right? You're just like, I don't know. There's just something about them. I just, it's a lot of work. I mean, just, they just had job a job. They just talk a lot. You know, like you just find a reason to not be around people. And I wonder how many of us have missed out on incredible friendships because we focused on some superficial difference, right? And if we'd only been willing to dig a little bit deeper, like we would have actually discovered how much we have in common with that person and, and how much we can actually connect with them and begin to journey with them. I, I think, to be honest, like the, the idea of intentionality in our friendships is a little foreign to us in our culture because we love to embrace kind of the mystery in all of our relationships, that it just sort of happens I don't know why we just didn't mean for it to happen. We just fell in love. Like, I don't know what. I, we showed up to the same bar in the same shirt and went home best friends. Yeah, what shit? Well, yeah, okay. Like we, like we just think connection just, just magically happens, right? If they're just the right kind of person, we'll just click. It's like that scene in Step Brothers where they look at each other, right? And they're like, did we just become best friends? Right? Like the, that, that's how we think friendship happens, right? And the confusing thing is, is that it does happen that way sometimes. But the truth is that those are more the exceptions and not really the rule. Like very few of our friendships begin that way 
and last. Most of our friendships actually take work. See, wisdom says, no, this is too important. This matters way too much. You got to spy out your friendships. You got to do some recon. You got to actually invest some intentionality in getting to, know, to getting to know people. The wise do not drift into relationships on accident. They choose carefully. They're intentional about their connections and their friends. They choose where and how they invest their time and their emotions and their energy. And it doesn't mean that they blow people off. It doesn't mean that you don't love and accept everybody. It doesn't mean that you're not friendly to everyone. It just means that you actually take responsibility for the depth and the quality of the people and the friendships in your life. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools doesn't become a fool. They suffer harm. Last week, we read Proverbs 18, 24, which says, one who has reliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and hopefully more than one. Does any of that sound like something you just want to leave to chance? Of course not. Does any of that sound like something you just want to kind of cross your fingers and hope it happens? No, it's a skill. It's a process, right? And so it takes proximity and it takes intentionality. But then there's this other idea, this other bucket that we're going to look at here in a second of vulnerability. Because deep in friendship always, always, always requires vulnerability. It requires us letting our guard down and letting other people see us. And the challenge for us in our culture is we often mistake vulnerability for disclosure because we get lots and lots of disclosure in our culture. But disclosure is different, right? Disclosure is just telling people what is happening in your life. That's not vulnerability. Social media actually gives us a false sense of vulnerability because there's just so much disclosure. I went here and I did this and I'm going through this and you know we just share all the events of our lives. But vulnerability is actually a process of opening your heart to people. It's a reciprocal environment. It, it requires you risking people knowing the real you. And it requires you doing the hard work of actually getting to know the real person across from you. Strangely enough, when we hide from vulnerability, we actually move more towards disclosure. But vulnerability matters because we may impress people with our strengths, but we actually connect with people through our weaknesses. You've got to be willing to be honest about who you actually are, about your struggles, and about your story. I know this can feel tricky because we've all been vulnerable with somebody who then abused that vulnerability, who then was not worthy of being trusted with that vulnerability, and they betrayed us. We also have all experienced those people who overshare, right? Or those people that go way too deep, way too fast, right? And you're just like, I don't even know. I just met you. I don't know why you're telling me that. Right? It makes everything kind of awkward. You're just like, I think you should find a friend and maybe tell them that because I'm just not that person. And truth is, vulnerability should actually be a slow fade. It's something that builds over time. But there's this other part of this idea that's maybe not quite so obvious or intuitive. And, and it's the idea of being willing to tell the truth in your relationship. See, real healthy friendships can only exist when two people are willing to tell each other the truth. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I don't know if you've ever worked with metal and creating things, something out of metal, but it takes 
a lot of pressure and a lot of fire. When I was in seventh grade, 1987, Mills Junior High School, Rancho Cordova, California. It was one of the few schools in our city that still had metal shop. And I got to take metal shop for a couple of years, and it was awesome. I'm not sure the wisdom of giving a bunch of seventh and eighth graders, like acetylene torches and letting them run all over and melt down metal and like letting them step into an arc welder and sparks are flying everywhere and hammering. But it was really cool. Like we learned a lot. We did a lot of really great stuff. But if, if you've ever worked with metal and trying to create something, you know it's not a quiet or sort of sweet, tender process. Right? There's hammering and torches and sparks flying everywhere. And the truth is part of having deep, lasting friendships is being willing to actually have friction with people. See, so many of us struggle with how to deal with conflict. That the moment that there's any friction, the moment that there's any conflict, we're just like, I'm out, I'm out. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I just weird. I just don't want to. We can't handle it. We don't know how to step into it and resolve it or deal with it in a constructive way. He's like, well, but I have great friends and we've never fought. The truth is, if you've never fought, you don't actually know if they're your friend or not. Because you only know if they're your friend after the fight, right? It's only after you've spoken truth into each other's lives that you know who's really for you. It's only after that you've kind of hurt and offended one another that you actually know, oh, this person's going to stick with me through it all. Proverbs 27.6 says, the wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I I wonder if that's like the the genesis of the, 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 you know, the, the saying of like kissing up, right? It's, he's saying you got to beware of people who will only tell you what you want to hear because speaking truth actually takes courage. Speaking truth in love is risking offending you and then you withdrawing from the friendship. And so there's a vulnerability that comes in being willing to go, look, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but that, that thing that you did or that thing that you said, that hurt. Or, or I, don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but man, you have like a blind spot here. And I, I don't, I, I want you to know I'm for you, but you need, to, you need to see this. You need to hear this. Some of the, the closest people in my life that have been my friends for decades and decades and decades are the people who have hurt me the most. And it wasn't because they betrayed me. It was because they were willing to say really hard things. Things that hurt me. And, and I love this idea from um, Dr. Henry Cloud. He, he actually says there's a difference between hurt and harm. And this is what he wrote. He says, we all hurt sometimes in facing hard truths, but it makes us grow. That is not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. And, and he goes on to write that so often the difference between hurt and harm is the motivation of the person who's delivering the truth that's hurting us. Because sometimes you can move into that environment and you're, you're not talking to people. You're not telling them truth because you love them. You're trying to bring them down a notch. You're trying to put them in, the, in their place because they, they said something hard to you, so now you need, to, you need to hurt them back. It's not that you're coming out of love. See, a true friend will risk hurting you to help you in the long run. But by the way, if you're somebody who really enjoys like conflict. If you're one of those rare people, like if you're one of those people that you're you're the truth teller, like you really enjoy speaking the truth and telling it like it is, you you actually probably have a blind spot here. That that you're you're a hammer, and so every conversation looks like a nail and an opportunity for you to really tell the truth to somebody. But that's not what I'm talking about. 
This is not about dropping truth bombs on people that you haven't really invested anything in. This isn't judging or condemning people. It's not being self-righteous or trying to fix people. It's two people who are invested in a relationship, having honest conversations. Their motivation. It's about taking the relationship deeper and about both of you growing and getting better. So friendship takes proximity and it takes intentionality and it takes vulnerability. And then there's this last bucket, this last umbrella that I'm going to call loyalty. See, loyalty says, come hell or high water, I'm wearing your jersey. I'm on your team. Right? It's a decision that we make to look out, not for ourselves, but for the other. And part of us building strong, deep, lifelong friendships is us choosing to stick it out. It's choosing to be a die-hard friend. Because we've all had those die-easy friends, right? You thought they were a die-hard fan, but then, or die-hard friend, but then something happened and it turned out they were a die-easy friend. People that you thought were with you, but then they weren't. Be somebody who doesn't bail on people even when it gets hard. Even when that hard thing is something that actually is between you and that other person. Stick it out. Be loyal. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times. You want to know who your friends are? It's those people that love you at all times. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say a friend likes you all the time. (laughs) Or a friend enjoys you all the time. No, no, no. There may be times where a friend doesn't like you very much. Where a friend doesn't enjoy you. But they always, always love you. Isn't it amazing how many people want to be your friend when you're the one buying drinks, right? When everything's good and you're just like, yeah, they're like, that's my guy. Woo, yeah. But who's going to be there for you when life is actually falling apart? When you're in the back of a cave and you can't think of a single reason to live. I'll never forget years and years and years ago, I was in my early 20s. I had an older friend and mentor tell me, he said that people rarely ever remember who was around in the good times of their life, who was around in the moments of celebration, but they never, ever forget who shows up when their life falls apart. And so for us, that has been this guiding principle in our relationships. We decided at the very beginning of our marriage, the very beginning of our ministry, that we were going to be people who just showed up when life was falling apart didn't matter if we know them very well or not. We're going to show up when things are not going well, when things get hard. I I cannot imagine my story and where I would be without people doing that for me. And we've had so much, like you, so much heartache and brokenness and pain, whether it was like our journey through infertility or after we adopted our daughter and she was a baby and then we ended up in this really crazy like court battle where we almost lost her and how painful that was and all these ministry moments of brokenness and us having to shut down a church and just stuff that's just gut-wrenching and you just travel with people and journey with people and they betray you and then the tragedy of losing people you love and all of that and every single one of those moments people stepping in people showing up. I can tell you, I can go through the list in every single one of those situations and give you the names of the people 
who walked in. Even three months ago, when my wife's dad, out of the blue, died unexpectedly, the, the, the people that just began to move towards us. One of my favorite parts of Scripture is in the book of Job. Job's life completely falls apart. And one of the most beautiful expressions of friendship, and this often gets overlooked because Job's friends said and did a bunch of idiotic things, but one thing that they got right is when they got the news that his life had fallen apart. They didn't, they didn't even talk about it. There was no discussion. They just met together and began to immediately, upon receiving the news, they packed their bags and went to where he was at. And they sat in the ashes of his life with him in silence for seven days. What, what an incredible, powerful expression of human connection and human friendship. I love how direct and to the point that Proverbs 27.10 is. It just says this, never abandon a friend. See, when you're a friend, you don't just walk away. You don't just cash out. You don't just throw it away. There's also this other nuance to loyalty that I want to touch on before we're done. And it's this idea of having people's back. I think I don't think we actually talk about this enough. And I want to maybe come at it through the back door by giving you a negative example in Proverbs 16, 28. It says this, it says that a troublemaker plants seeds of strife and gossip separates the best of friends. What, what a just stark warning. And I, I think this is maybe one of the most challenging things about friendships in our culture is because we have industries built on gossip. We have you know, paparazzi and whole, like, and so it's very, very acceptable in our culture to just spend time listening to people talk about other people and then to spend time to us talking to someone else about other people. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I read those words that a gossip separates the best of friends, like, I actually feel emotion with that because I know firsthand how true that is. I know what it's like to have a friendship fall apart over that. I know what it's like to have people that I love no longer be in my life. I know the pain of having been talked about, and maybe worst of all, I know the regret of situations where I was the one who was doing the talking. But friendship means that your your name is safe in their mouth, and their name is safe in your mouth. The problem with gossip is that it destroys the environment that's necessary for intimacy and connection. Solomon said it this way in another verse in Proverbs eleven thirteen. He says that gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And I think it's really interesting that he uses the word confidence because I think that gives us a great picture because some of us have seen all kinds of friends, all kinds of people that we were close to kind of come and go, and we can't seem to figure out why. And I think maybe if we're honest, for part, of a, for part of it for some of us is that we have this habit of talking about people and it just drains all the confidence out of the relationship. It bleeds all the trust out of those relationships. And so we're friendly with lots of people, but not really close and deep with anybody. And there's so many of us that get the proximity thing and we get the intentionality thing and we've got that down, but without confidence and trust, vulnerability cannot exist. 
And so our friendships never actually really go that deep. But a friend talks to us, not about us. So a a good rule of thumb for me in my life now at this point is that if it's about them and they're not in the room or the conversation, I'm just going to keep it. I'm not saying anything to anybody about them. For some strange reason, when you're a pastor, people come to you all the time to talk to you about other people. They talk to about the, you know, they're like, okay, look, I want to share this about myself. Also, I really want to talk to you about that guy over there, okay? Because I don't know if you know, but this is what's going on with him. Um, and, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, we, we're really good about our gossip because we couch it in spiritual language and we're just like, I don't know if you heard, but I'm going to tell you so you can be praying. I just really want you to. And then we start talking about something that's not our business to talk about. And, and I'm always shocked when somebody's talking to me and I'm always like, hey, have, I don't know, have, they're over there. Have you, talk, have you talked to them? Well, no, 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 I just thought maybe I'd come. Wait, so it occurred to you that you have a thing with them and you came to talk to me, but it didn't also occur to you maybe just go talk to them. Like, have the same conversation. This is all good. Just go tell that guy, the one who this is about. See, that, that, that's the problem is, is that we don't want to take that risk, right? That takes vulnerability on our part. That takes courage on our part. Because, oh, what if there's friction? Oh, what if they don't receive it? Oh, what if they get mad? What if they withdraw from the relationship? And it's like, yes, but you are poisoning the very relationship that you're trying to save by avoiding the conflict, by talking to somebody else about it. Like, just go talk to them. Honestly, like, we could probably spend the rest of the day talking about all these different building blocks that go into us making being a friend, but maybe this is the best place for for us to land, is that being a a huge part of forming lifelong friendships is having people's back. It's being there for them, but it's also being for them. It's celebrating and championing their growth and their wins, and it's mourning their losses and their setbacks with them. And, And I think if we're honest, like, we just have to, we'd have to admit it's so much easier for us to be there for people than for us to be for people. It's so much easier for us to kind of come alongside people who are, things are falling apart and to mourn with them and to be there and support them than it is for us to really champion people that are winning, right? Because they were just like, we, we start getting jealous, like they're just winning, I'm not winning, like, oh, yay, oh, another thing went good for you in your life, woo, I'm so happy for you. But that's what friends do. It's bragging on people's strengths and defending their weaknesses, especially when they're not in the room. There's proximity and there's intentionality and there's vulnerability and there's loyalty. See, I I, I think what I, I want you to hear is that God cares about your friendships and he wants you to have deep, meaningful, lifelong friendships that are life-giving to you and to your friend. But it's not just going to magically happen. It's going to be us leaning in and building and being the kind of person, being the kind of friend that we want to have. So last Sunday, I, I challenged you to kind of take an inventory of the relationships or the friendships in your life and the, the broad categories that they kind of break down into, whether it's somebody that you're friends with because you have kind of a shared purpose, 
more utilitarian. There's the people that you just have fun with. They're your social friends. You hang out with them. They're fun to be with. Um, but then also that third category of a true, deep friendship. And, and so I, I wanted to do the same with you this week, is to give you this assignment. And that is to take each of these things, whether it's proximity and how much time you invest around people, building into relationships, whether it's the intentionality you have around your relationships or the vulnerability of the loyalty and just take those four things and just rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. What area do you need to grow in the most? And then this week, begin to actually move in that direction. And so if it's proximity, maybe you need to make some plans with somebody. Maybe you need to be the one to initiate. Maybe you need to reach out and just decide, all right, I'm going to pick a place and then I'm going to just go there and be a regular and just have conversations. I'm going, to res- I'm going to answer that invitation. Maybe for you, it's much more about the vulnerability piece. And there's a conversation that you know that you need to have that you've been avoiding. And you just need to step into that conversation and have it. Whatever it is, rate those things. Which one do you need to lean into? Which one do you need to actually work on? And this week, What if we all just decided we were together collectively going to be the kinds of friends that we actually all want to have? And the best part of it all is that we're not alone in any of it, that God actually loves us, that he cares about your friendship, that he's more invested in your friendships than you are in your friendships, and that he's here to help us, that he actually invites us into friendship with himself through his son, Jesus. Let's pray together.